Hello and welcome to Court Games, a Legend of the Five Rings podcast, paid for by the Legend of the Five Rings Discord community Patreon. This podcast will focus on the role-playing game stories and lore for Legend of the Five Rings. I'm Korvar. I'm Kitakita Kaori. And today we have a special guest, Josh Reynolds. I hope uh, I said hi. that right. How y'all doing? Uh, uh, <laughs> he is the author of Poison River, a Daidoji Shin Mystery. It is the second of the Aconite Press L5R novels, and it's coming out in December, right? Yes, actually. It should be first week of December, I think. So uh, welcome to our podcast, and thank you so much for coming and having an interview with us. Thank you for inviting me. I appreciate it. So let's get ourselves started. Um, Obviously, new book coming out. So without giving away spoilers, can you give us a little bit about the book Poison River? Basically, it is a mystery set in the city of the rich frog, and it's not a it's not a police procedural or a, a noirish mystery. It's actually a golden age mystery. So it's a lot of drawing rooms and people insulting each other and accusing each other of murder and all that kind of fun stuff. Agatha uh, Christie style. Yeah, actually, that there's. It says there's it says there's a murder. There is there's one murder exactly. One person dies, <laughs> um, and the rest of the book is just people trying to figure it out and get to grips with it and figure out what it means. <laughs> so before we go on, we do want to learn a little bit more about who you are. So, Josh, how did you become a writer in the first place? Do you want the professional answer or do you want the true answer? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> The, okay, they're the same answer. So, uh, <laughs> okay. uh, that's handy. That's handy. Yeah, basically, in when I was in college in South Carolina, I had several jobs to to pay for college and pay for an apartment and food and the important things. And I needed more money, so I at the time this was early two thousands. So this was the boom of the digital magazine market. Lots of e-zines and digital journals. And and I found that a lot of them were paying good money on publication or on acceptance for stories. And I read some of the stories on offer from these early pioneers of digital webzines and realized that I could write just as well. Most of these places were at this time were asking for HP Lovecraft pastiches and Robert E. Howard pastiches, and they were paying they were paying four or five cent a word by PayPal, which handily enough my landlord took. <laughs> so <laughs> and so I was I would sit down in a week and write two or three really bad Lovecraft ripoffs, and most of those I do not have listed on my website and my bibliography because they were awful. Yeah, one of them was titled "The Outsider." but he's inside uh, in my notes. <laughs> I didn't actually send it off with that title, but that was what it was titled in my notes. It was bad. Uh, and I wrote for various other publications, more dubious publications than those publishing Lovecraftian pastiches, but all for money. And eventually I realized that I enjoyed it. It wasn't just a way to make an extra 30 or 40 bucks a week. It was like, Oh, I can actually do this. And then, I stopped for a little while because I was working again. I was out of college. I was working a midnight shift at FedEx loading trucks and I ended up getting married to my wife. My wife is English. She said, I think I want to go home. I said, okay, there's literally nothing holding me in South Carolina. So (laughs) let's go. And I went and I found out when I got there that I couldn't just get a job. I I knew I had known this, but I had convinced myself otherwise (laughs) And I found that legally I couldn't. So my wife said, why don't you start writing? Get back to writing. And I said, oh, yeah, I could do that. That doesn't count as a job. About a year after that, I got a job with Black Library, the tie-in line for Games Workshop. I started selling Executioner novels to Gold Eagle. Executioner is a men's adventure series. It's what Marvel ripped the Punisher off of. (laughs) 
So I started writing those. And before I knew it, I had four or five book contracts a year and short stories selling. And I just said, oh, okay, yeah, this, yeah, I was, yeah, I guess this is better than loading boxes for six hours at night. All right. (laughs) (laughs) I'll I'll accept it. Yeah, I I can see how that would would work. (laughs) And in between writing all the cool stuff, I was also writing like search engine optimization blog posts and stuff for websites and advertisements for wedding photographers. Yeah, the glamorous stuff. But yeah, I, I ghost wrote two or three novels for people who probably don't want me to tell, <laughs> share their names <laughs> online. But there was a lot of, it wasn't just very easy. It was like I actually had to work. I was working 12 hours a day to, to try and get stuff going. And now I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> so, writing L5R. It's a pretty, it's a pretty yeah, it's just, it wor- it's worked out so far. I'm satisfied, I guess. <laughs> I can always stand to sell four or five more books a year. That's... <laughs> yeah. So now you're writing Legend of the Five Rings tie-in novel. So what brought you to L5R? And what is it that you find appealing about the world from a, a writing perspective? First, I knew about L5R. I've known about L5R for a long time. I was big into role-playing in, in high school and, and uh, college. I'd never played L5R in any of the editions, but I had a friend who religiously bought every book he could find, every edition. We never played it, but he had them, and he liked to read them, <laughs> and he liked to share them to say, isn't this cool? We should do this. And we would be like, yes, let's do this. And then we'd never do it. Uh, <laughs> And so I'd known about it because I saw the advertisements for it in Dragon Magazine. And, oh, God, remember when there was a Dragon Magazine? I'm uh, so yeah, old. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've known about it, and I I'd, I think I'd read one or two of the, the novellas that came out a while ago, a couple of years ago. And, and, and I always liked it. I always liked the, I guess, the quiet aspect of it. The fact that honor and character interaction plays... You're not just you're not just going into a dungeon and killing things, or <laughs> yeah. going into a city and pretending you're going to talk to people and actually you're just going to kill them and take their money. Um, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, yeah. There, there are social aspects. There are social consequences that you there's have to a, play a world out. You have to, yeah, yeah. There's a world you have to fit into. Yeah, and I really like that part of it. And Aconite, when Aconite approached me to, to write some stuff for him, the first thing they offered me, they said was We've got a couple of different things. We've got Arkham Horror and, and this and that and the other. And I said, ooh, Arkham Horror. Yes, please. I love Arkham Horror because I could write a terrible Lovecraft pastiche. I can do that. <laughs> That's old hat for me. I can spell squamous. Yeah, I can. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> That's all you need. Yeah, I try to use that word at least once a book. <laughs> it's, it's in Poison River somewhere. I'm not going to tell you where, but it's there. But they, one of the other things they offered me was L5R. And I said, I knew what it was. And I, I read the background material to refresh myself on what it was about. And I said, yeah, this is the kind of book I want to write. I'm not a big action guy, even though most of the stuff I've written has been action oriented. I actually like quieter character interaction, dialogue driven stuff. And so they, <laughs> I went to lunch with the editors for Aconite and they said, what kind of L5R book would you write? And and I could feel them steering me away from the shadow stuff, the Shadowland stuff, because David Annandale was already writing that. And I wasn't like, that's interesting, but I kind of, if David, if you've ever talked to David, that David is the perfect person to handle that aspect of it. And I was kind of like, you know what, just let him do it. And I was like, what I want to do is write a detective novel. And one of the others said, so you want, do you want a, a Kitsune? Uh, I think that's right. The, uh, Kitsuki. Kitsuki, that's it. I get ah, messing up I words know. already. Messing up the terminology yeah, already. No, the, those two names are very similar, and yeah. literally just the last syllable. So yeah, but it's the. So they so said you, you're going to do that for the detective. I said no, I don't think so because what I want to do is write Lord Peter Whimsy kind of detective novel. And so I laid out how I would have a have an aristocrat, so somebody from one of the highest. Highest points and one of the best, the highest clans, best clans. <laughs> <laughs> and 
I would that way he could go anywhere. He could t- theoretically talk to anyone without it being an issue, a social issue. Mm-hmm. So basically, allowing me to avoid all of the stuff I wanted to write about <laughs> if I wanted to. Because on top of being interested in a lot of this stuff, I'm also slightly lazy about some things. <laughs> so I want to avoid as much of that as possible. But it, it, I kind of I wanted to have that lazy, aristocratic sleuth, amateur sleuth coming in and having everyone together in a, in a room and like Poirot from Agatha Christie. Everybody's in the drawing room and this is what happened. I'm sure um, you're wondering why I called you all together. Exactly. <laughs> And oh. said, everyone's going, no, we've read this kind of novel. We know exactly what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to lean into all of that, all of the tropes for those stories, because I love those stories. He had to have he had to have a sidekick or a bodyguard, someone who's more competent in the practical aspects of life, perhaps. So that's where the his bodyguard came from. Dadu Jishin's bodyguard in the novel came from. So because he, he need he you need that character to be able to handle the stuff that your aristocrat can't handle. <laughs> and then it just it spun out from there. I, I picked The City of the Rich Frog after reading, what is it, the new supplement, the Jade Empire? Is it Jade Empire or Emerald Empire? Emerald, Emerald Empire. Emerald Empire, yeah. I always get my greens confused. Um, Slightly different shade of green, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Emerald Empire had a, a brief thing on the City of the Rich Frog, so I went online to see if there was fan material, because I knew fan material accumulates between editions. And I was... Yeah. So I went to the the wiki for L5R and got lost in that for a week. Oh, yes. Yeah. This Yeah, this is not so much like going down a rabbit hole as drinking from a fire hose when it comes to L5R. Or, yeah, yeah. Is there any law? Oh, yes. Oh, yes, there is. There is. <laughs> you know, and then having to – basically having to go back to, to Fantasy Flight and say, which of these things can I use and which should I avoid? Because they're they've reshuffled the lore slightly, yeah, and they threw out so many of my ideas because they were like, "This doesn't exist anymore. We're not doing this. This is named something else now." And I'm like, oh, "Okay, yeah, all right, yeah. This hasn't happened yet. This might not happen. This is going to happen, but over here." And so I was like, "Okay, that's fine." <laughs> the city of the rich frog. I was allowed to use. I was allowed to build on all the characters that are mentioned in the mentioned in the book as being main characters that the PCs can interact with, which I thought was you know, really exciting because I'm used to, I'm used to games workshop and black library going, no, don't touch any of that. <laughs> don't touch any of the main characters. No, leave them alone. And so it was nice. It was nice. The, the help they gave because they kept sending fantasy flight, kept sending me notes going, wouldn't it be cool if you added this and wouldn't this be interesting? <laughs> and I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> It's too much information. Just stop now. Just stop now. <laughs> uh, and and yeah, that's, that's how it came about. Sounds, sounds great. So obviously the Crane Clan is best. Okay, this is a yes, bit of a joke obviously. because I am a big Crane Clan fan. Usually you'll find when you interact with us L5R fans that we pick our favorite clans to go on. So Kovar is a big dragon Dragon fan, yeah. so I'm, I'm yeah. Crane yeah. fan. But obviously, Crane Clan is the best. But uh, who's your second favorite? <laughs> See, it's weird because I have thought about this, and I alternate a lot. I alternate between the the Cat Clan because I I, I find the cat the idea of a clan full of <laughs> a clan full of ninjas pretending to be actors really interesting. Just from a story perspective, obviously. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, but I, I also really like the scorpion because the scorpion are terrible. Uh, it's like you took everything good about the crane and then you made it terrible. They're just terrible. <laughs> that is things. exactly it. Yeah. yeah. Interestingly, the actor ninja were originally scorpion, and they may still be scorpion. They, yeah, I, I believe they are as, as well. Yeah. yeah. I, I think there's also an interesting aspect, which is. Which would be your favorite clan if you were going to play them in a game versus which is your favorite clan from a storytelling perspective? And I think those are two separate things and two interesting questions. Like if I were playing a character in a game, it would either be Crane or Scorpion, I think, depending on on who I was playing, the needs of the party, basically. Yeah. Do, do, do Do you need a nice person? 
Or do you need a not nice person? person. <laughs> I'm one of those guys that I join when I start when I sit down to play role playing games. I does it, do we need a cleric? I'll play the cleric. It's fine. Yeah. What's the gap? Because that's often with a lot of role playing games, especially I find with Legend of the Five Rings. It's a come up with a character idea, and three hours later, I'm about I'm about halfway through my list. <laughs> and but if someone says, "Oh, but we need someone who does this," great. That just narrows the options down. Do you need a big hitty fighter? Good, I've got one of those. Do you need a, a sneaky person? Got one of those. Yeah, it's really important. So I really enjoyed Poison River. I read the preview copy. And one of the things that I really liked about it was the dialogue. The story has a lot of snappy comebacks that are just a delight to read. And I want to know how you pull it off. How do you get in your groove for writing dialogue? It's it's generally a combination of things. I tend to listen to a lot of radio, radio plays, especially stuff from, yeah, especially stuff from the, the 30s and 40s. If you want good banter, you listen to radio plays from the 30s or 40s. Yeah. I also am, I watch a lot of, I don't want to say I watch a lot of television. I watch a lot of shows, certain types of shows. So I'll watch weird, your Midsummer Murders and that kind of stuff, which all have, actually all have good dialogue because it, it's, every episode is built on the characters because they've been running for so long. It's, it's not like the plot's going to surprise you. It has to be the, the character work. But I watch stuff like you watch stuff like The West Wing or Gilmore Girls, and yeah, I watch Gilmore Girls. Go ahead, laugh. <laughs> but you know that that kind of snappy banter, the quick dialogue, movies like the Thin Man movies with William Powell and Myrna Loy are my favorites for that kind of getting me in that kind of mood of characters just shooting back and forth, and also reading books for the periods I'm trying to emulate the books from the twenties, books from the the 30s, you've got your Evelyn Waugh, P.G. Wodehouse, that kind of stuff, and, and all that banter is in those books. All that kind of wordplay and the rhythm of a conversation between two characters and the ups and the downs and, and how they will speak to each other in a given situation and, and kind of keeping that through line so all of the conversations seem to flow into one longer conversation. Yeah. Um, well, I think you did a great job with it. So. Um, well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. I can't imagine how you would have brought that to the Warhammer 40k universe, and I'm somewhat failing. <laughs> uh, I got in. I got in trouble a lot, and <laughs> I got brought in to get yelled at a lot because I am imagining like a space marine with a teacup, fing- power armor finger out. That happened. Saying, <laughs> I wrote. That. <laughs> oh, that is glorious. I, in fact, I got that into two books. <laughs> two different books you may be my new favorite author just for that i got so many red marks going space marines do not have a sense of humor uh, yeah how am i now how am i supposed to write this this dinner party scene how is that how is that supposed to work if they don't have a sense of humor and my editor go what dinner party scene where was this where was this the pitch i just came up with it don't worry it's fine it'll be fine oh my poor editors i feel so bad for them sometimes oh dear not all the time you just have to write more l5r because we have dinner parties all the time oh i I hope so yeah i love dinner parties and murder what more could you want that's 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 a good weekend that's a great weekend oh dear me so other other than dinner parties do you have any advice for other writers out there with with aspirations and given that the poison river is a murder mystery specifically if they're thinking about mystery writing mystery writing specifically what i would suggest is that they read a lot of mysteries watch a lot of mystery tv shows watch the procedurals watch the more unique television shows like you know the wire watch luther watch 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 and read a variety of things and figure out what sort of mystery you want to write and then figure out what you like about the mystery that you want to write and see if you can, my, my approach to, to writing, to learning how to write a new thing is to basically take it apart. It's how I learned to put together a car engine when I was a kid was you took a car engine apart and you put it back together back when, you know, you could do that and have a, have a car that ran. 
but you take it apart, you disassemble it into the components, you figure out what you like. Why do you like this character? What does this character do in the book? What is what's happening in this plot that you like? Is the plot com- complicated or is it actually simple? What makes the book feel complicated? Is it the characters all doing stuff or is it just the character personalities? You figure out all that, and by the time you're done thinking about it that way, you'll have a good grip. I would also I would also give this bit of advice, which is figure out who did it, why they did it, and how they did it before you start writing. Mm. <laughs> because if you do not, you will end up having to rewrite the book two or three times. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I find you can generally tell. Yeah. When someone thought the, – the, they thought of essentially the cold open. Yeah. And yeah. they've got, and they're, they're chucking the character in, and the characters, and the author, in fact, does not know yeah. how that <laughs> happened. You can like when I when I was writing Poison River, I had it figured out, and then about halfway through, it changed. So I went back and had to tear the book apart from the get go. And thankfully, my editors were very. I still got it done in time, so they were they were, they were happy with me. But they they actually did allow me. They said, if you need a couple more months, it's fine, which is very nice of them. Because <laughs> I sent an email, you know, I sent an email off to my editor going, yeah, I just had a better idea. So I'm going to rewrite this book, including the, you know, 50,000 words I already sent you. I'm just going to rewrite that over the weekend and you'll be fine. You'll be fine. And it was because sometimes you just have to, you just have to tear something apart and, and rebuild it. And that's, that's actually a, a thing. I would say is another thing writers shouldn't be afraid of. Sometimes ideas don't work. That's not a failing. That's not a, that's not a, that happens to everybody. Don't feel bad about it. Don't feel bad. If you have, if you're halfway through a story and it's just not working, it just happens. Just deal with it. If you've got a deadline, figure out something that works and go with it. But if it's just something you're writing for pleasure or because you want to writing for NaNoWriMo or something, don't feel bad about it. It happens. Throw it in a junk drawer, get back to it in two or three years. You might have, you might come up with an idea for how to fix it. Yep. Given all of this writing advice, we had read your font of Georgette Hare. Want to give a shout out to her or any other mystery readers we should go read? Georgette Hare is not strictly a mystery writer. She is actually a romance writer who happened to write mysteries as well. She, I, I read her because... Romance novels actually tend to have a lot of really good character interaction and dialogue. Yeah, because they're they are they're because they're driven by they're driven by character interaction. So I tend to read I, I read Georgia Hare, I've read Nora Roberts and all that kind of stuff. Not a, I don't devour it, but I'm not going to turn my nose up at a Nora Roberts. It's, there's a reason she's rich, but. Yeah. Mystery writers, Georgia Hare has written some mysteries. They're all very good. Dorothy L. Sayers for the Peter Whimsey novels and just her, her non-Peter Whimsey mysteries are all very well put together. But she has a very clear grasp of the, the language and character of the time she's writing in, which is the, the 20s, 30s. So you, you can really feel a sense of place. In contrast, Agatha Christie's stories are actually quite weightless in that regard, which is a good thing, which is why they're timeless stories, because she doesn't burden the stories. What she, what Agatha Christie does is she developed a story engine for giving you a mystery, and she sticks to it, and it's like clockwork, and it's a beautiful thing to read an Agatha Christie story and go, I, I have seen how this works, I, but it is wonderful to watch the gears of this woman's mind click. As she lays down the plot, it's, you know, if you want to learn how to write a mystery, you read an Agatha Christie because that's, it's all in there. Arthur Conan Doyle, obviously, because everybody likes Sherlock Holmes. Even if they say they don't like Sherlock Holmes, they're lying. They like Sherlock Holmes. (laughs) Stuff like more modern stuff series by Christopher Fowler, which is Bryant May which are weirdly British Gothic mystery stories. They're very Midsummer murderersy with the secret cults in the drawing room and all that kind of stuff. But fun stuff. I like John Sanford, who's uh, a procedural writer, but his stuff is just very, it's not intricate, but the, again, the character work makes, 
because you know who the criminal is, who the police are, and you're just waiting to see how they collide. Stuff like Ed McBain with the, what is it, 87th Precinct, I think, which is basically a long-form television show in it's 87th Precinct, which is basically a novel series of like 30 books. And it's all about this one police precinct in an unnamed city. And it's just, it's, it's basically he's writing a television show. Because every book, the subplots move forward a little bit. Characters die. Characters fall in and out. Characters get wounded. And two books later, they're still in, they're still in the hospital because the books move at real time. And it's fascinating to just read three or four of those in a row. Stuff like Carl Hyacin with the, the Florida novels. Oh, geez, those are those are fun to tear into. Yeah, yeah like I've got so many suggestions. Time. Yeah, <laughs> I could go on for hours. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. For me, my favorite are the Brother Caffel by uh, Peters. Yep. Yes, yes. Oh, God. I just started rereading those. I started rereading those a couple months ago, along with the, the I, I, Tony I, Hillerman stuff. Good stuff, yeah. especially yeah when you're talking about non-modern technology and stuff like yeah, in L5R actually. world. So. Yeah, and that's yeah. Actually, yeah, Catfall is actually quite close to. Come to think of it, that is quite close to what Poison River is, really. <laughs> right. So, Akinai Books is real. I think maybe for certainly for L5R, it's quite new. How is it? been to write for them it's been a wonderful experience they are it's aconite was founded by mark gaskin who is the the guy who founded black library and he knows how to do tie-in fiction i guess it's a good way of putting it it's like he he understands what you need to do that how how tie-in fiction differs from regular fiction and what the needs of how to match the needs of the book against the needs of the story and the editors that he's got under him, Lottie and all the others, are just fantastic. It's a very easy experience to work with them. As I said, they were very open to me basically going, ah, I've got to throw all this out yeah, uh, and write something yeah. new. And it's, and it's just, yeah, so it's, it's a really great experience. That, that does say a lot about a, yeah. a company that'll let you do that. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, it surprised me, <laughs> I'll be honest. But it was a good surprise. Yeah. Is there anything that you're so now we're finally like on the eve of your of this book being released? Is there anything that you're nervous about thinking about for this story being released? Uh, it's the same thing I'm usually nervous about when I start a new start working on a new franchise. It's I really hope that I got it right because it doesn't matter how much research you do or how it doesn't matter how how good you feel about what you've done to synthesize what you've read and translate it to the page it's always are the fans going to read this and get mad at me i don't i, I really hope they don't get mad at me <laughs> because i missed something you know cuz cuz we have our very fixed ideas of what the crane are like what the even the doji and the, the daidoji and, and yeah yeah does this character fit and all that kind of stuff yeah yeah, and it's a thing where you read and go, okay, so I'm having a character who's playing against type. Will people like that? Or do they want, should I have made him the what you'd expect? Should, should the detective have been from the clan that you expected it to be from, dealing with the things that reader expectation versus what you want to write? And with tie-in fiction, reader expectation is always so hard to gauge because there are so many different points of fandom that have different ideas about what's what makes a good book and what makes a good character and it there's no way to please them all but you just you're trying to please the majority and it's always a crapshoot <laughs> <laughs> uh, to sound disheartened about it yeah um i thought it was wonderful good i'm, yes. I'm glad that's that's two people that's all right yeah i, th I think if i think uh, carrie is going to be quite a good judge of whether or not the crane fandom will accept uh, it. So <laughs> I, I swear you, you say he's not a typical crane, but he's like what every crane player is, loves about the crane anyway. So he's, well, that's kind know. of what I was hoping. <laughs> is it, it, I, I wanted, I, I wanted to have a big blinking sign over his head that said, this is a player character. <laughs> <laughs> this is good. not a crane from the book. This is not a crane from the rule book. This is a player character crane. So hopefully people like it. That's all I really hope is that people like it and 
they buy enough of it that I can write a sequel. Or two or three or I thought it was I, I thought it was terrific. I think you'll find different people who are fans of different clans might have different, you know, ways of reading the book. I think overall people might be happy. We'll see, you know, we'll see what Kovar thinks. That, that's the only uh, clan that I'm, I'm not sure, but I think it was cool. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did the book actually take to write? Start to finish, it took, uh, with the rewrites, it took about 10 weeks. Is that, so, I, I don't know much about, I haven't yeah. I've written surprisingly few tie-in fiction books. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Generally, you're given about two months, two, two to three months to write a book, depending on where it's at in the schedule. For I have written books that are twice as long in half the time. Goodness. But I much prefer more time to write less, if that makes sense. Uh, I suspect that's probably true of most people. <laughs> yeah. Um, but just the time to think about what the characters are doing and saying. But generally, yeah, generally about eight weeks eight to 10 weeks and then editing will be another two to three weeks depending. So three months all told from start to finish until I'm completely out of the process. Wow. Uh, did you have any, did you yeah. have any specific legend of the five rings inspirations for this novel? Yeah, not so much. I looked, I remember I've I read a lot of the the lore pieces from some of the early, from a lot of the earlier editions and tried to figure out basically I wanted to avoid essentially I wanted to avoid copying something that had already been done by somebody else. Mostly what I was concerned with doing was not stepping on the toes of the writers for Aconite who were coming before me and coming after me. So I wanted to make sure that I had something completely different from David Annandale and who's coming after me? Court of Thousand Marie Demons. Brennan? Yeah. Marie Brennan? Yeah, Marie Brennan. That's her. I wanted to avoid stepping on their toes more than anything. So it, it was like reverse inspiration. It's like, here's what I want to do. It was, it was more like, here's what I don't want to do. I don't want to have this. I don't want to deal with this. I'm just going to forge this narrow path in between these books. Yeah, if I'm going to have a parade of demons, it can only be 99. Exactly. <laughs> that number is important. Uh, that was that, that was mostly my inspiration was that the lore pieces that didn't deal with magic, that didn't deal with the kind of high fantasy aspects of Rokugan. I wanted to have the opening to Emerald Empire, that little bit where the, the two noblemen meet. And it's this really tense standoff of manners. And I, that's what I wanted to capture in the book was this, the, the way the society worked, the way the people talk to each other, and then to have a character who goes, I'm going to be as disrespectful as possible within limits and see how far I can get. Yeah, I'm going to aim for, you can't quite kill me. Yeah. Just shy of getting challenged to a fight. That's what I want. So hopefully I got that. Um, one of the things that struck me about the book was, was incre how incredibly well-researched it was. And you said you had studied the wiki and Emerald Empire. What And FFG gave you some help. What other? Re how did you go about studying it in general? What resources did you do? Did you go out and buy all the books? or? <laughs> what happened is FFG gave me PDFs of all the books they had out published as research material. And then I went and because they're PDFs and it's, it's hard to read a PDF back to front or front to back or side to side. I went out and bought, I bought the core book. I bought Emerald empire. I brought the courts of stone and just read them just all the way through and, and reread them. And then I went out and picked up, I have a history of feudal Japan. I picked up, weirdly, I picked up a bunch of stuff about the, the history of Japanese, of feudal J sanitation in feudal Japan, which I spent three days researching for that one scene in the book where it doesn't even matter. <laughs> but I spent yeah. three days. I had to get it right. I was like, oh, obviously they have a sewer system. And then I thought about it and I was like, but did they? Did they have a sewer system? 
how did they store food? It was like the, the there's a scene where they go visit the, the lion storehouses, the warehouses. And that was another thing where I, I went out and had to find something on JSTOR, the, the academic research, academic paper site that talked about how materials were stored in, in, in ports in feudal Japan. Yeah. So I could describe... <laughs> Because sometimes it it is absolutely yeah it could look exactly the same if you're doing this in medieval or early Renaissance Europe that sometimes it's completely different and you would not have expected it yeah and it was just that was a thing because I was describing warehouses and stuff and I was like hang on a minute this is they wouldn't have just had a warehouse made the same way and there's into stuff like researching food customs um, and then comparing the customs from historical the hist- from his from historical stuff to what they are in in Rokugan and and how they might differ and that was all that was I, like I said I spent a lot of time researching sanitation and <laughs> I spent time researching like shrines and, and shinobi and how does the the high fantasy version of a ninja compare to the literary ninja compare to the historical personages that we have come to know as ninjas. And it was just, it was a lot of, what can a bodyguard get away with doing? Can a, can a bodyguard slap their master's head? <laughs> Don't do that! Yeah. <laughs> Technically, if the master is leaving. I, I, I believe that is a question that a great many player character Yojimbo really want the answer to. <laughs> yeah. And, and the answer is, and the answer as, as so much of it was, it depends. Which is not the answer you want to hear when you're on your fourth day of research. <laughs> <laughs> And then, but then you write the scene in question, and you realize that it's one sentence, and nobody's going to notice it. And then you cry a little uh, bit. <laughs> I find that people do tend to realize the the depth that goes on behind. And now, this this kind of feeds into the next question, which is: Are there particular challenges to writing mystery set in Rokugan specifically, and are there benefits to setting a murder mystery in Rokugan? It's it's the answer is actually the same for both questions. It's the way the nature of how law enforcement and justice works in Rokukan that make it an interesting setting for writing a mystery, but it's also challenging because as as you probably know, it, evidence doesn't matter. So evidence, legal standing, none of that, none of what we associate with law and order actually exists. It's it's the word of of the nobility. So. If a high-ranking noble says, I saw that guy murder somebody, that the dude he accused is probably going to get executed. Unless somebody comes out of nowhere with something to save his butt, he's probably gone. And and I was in a society where evidence-based mystery solving is not a thing. How do you solve a mystery? Can you solve a mystery? Does anybody care that you solved a mystery? Which is where a lot of the political elements and stuff come into in the book, because it's just everybody's nobody cares. Nobody cares about the solution to this mystery except the guy trying to solve it. And it's that kind of I like that gray area because it means that the character's ideas of justice are what's driving the plot in a lot of ways. And if so, if your character is someone who is who does have a sense of justice, a sense of a cosmic justice, if you will, someone someone who who knows there's a right and a wrong and he's going to by God, make society bend to that in whatever way he can. It's an interesting, it, it creates an interesting tension in the book. I, I think it also, it gives characters something to do because if it is as simple as I did the test, I did the science, this is who it is, job done, then the characters doesn't have a whole heap to do. They just go on to the next thing. No, it's, it's a Sherlock Holmes short story at that point. It's yeah. I I figured out who the murderer is. Here's his footprints. Here's the cigarette ash. Take him away. And in this, it's yeah, but the person is higher higher rank than you, so no. <laughs> so now you're in trouble. And that's how it, that was what interested me initially about it. Nice. In I don't know if you've read them, but Fantasy Flight has a series of stories that they publish that is like the current timeline for the card game. It, it intersects with you saw the main character, some of the main characters from it in the introduction to the first fiction with Doji Hitaru and Bayushi Kachiko in the beginning of the 
core rule book, but it's all in 1123 in that timeline. And then they've written a bunch of follow-up fictions. And I was wondering if this story could be considered like part of the official history of the world, the official timeline, or is it mostly standalone in its own separate kind of universe? Or And if it did happen in timeline, when? I want, I want to you know, say it's absolutely imperative and everyone has to buy it. Otherwise, they're going to be completely lost. <laughs> <laughs> but, the, but the truth is, is Fantasy Flight essentially sent me a timeline and said, this book can go anywhere in here. And so it's written to fit in with the official canon. In the same year or like? <sighs> it's, it's written. The, yeah, the year is supposed to be current. That's why there's no actual official date given in the book unless they unless they put one in after put one in after I turned in the edits, which they might have. But it's meant to be whatever the current year for the reader is, basically. Right. So if it's cool. yeah. So if you're playing a campaign set, there are references to what are current events as of the core book and as of Courts of Stone and stuff. So if you're attempting to to play in the city of the rich frog per Emerald Empire, that's when it's set because those characters are, but when those characters are in their lifespan, it's debatable. Like you can move it forward or move, push it back depending on how you as the reader feel about it. So you've written many other pieces. You know, we've talked a little bit about Warhammer 40K and Arkham Asylum, and it's hard to choose from your babies, but how does this compare? I The, the last Was book I wrote is write? always the best. Yeah, yeah. The last book I wrote is always the is always the one I enjoyed writing the most because I got to try new things. With this book, I got to try a lot of things that I wanted to try. I wanted to write a golden age mystery. I wanted to have characters that had senses of humor and a lot of wordplay, and I wanted to do something without a lot of action or violence to it. Because the the first draft of this book actually had quite a bit of violence in it because I was just I was running on those Warhammer forty k muscles. So I was like, oh, 1,500 words, sword fight. 1,500 words, sword fight. It's but, oh, well, no, wait. No, that's probably wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Drop ships, deploy space breed. No, wait, wrong one, <laughs> wrong one, wrong one. But it's that. I, I've. It was a book I got to do a lot of stuff I've been looking forward to doing for a long time. It's my current favorite. But I, I reserve the right for it to be replaced by the next thing I write. <laughs> or the thing after that. Because I'm allowed to do that. Yeah. Absolutely. That is exactly what authors are all about. So we're hoping for, I think we're all, we've said that we're hoping for more stuff from Daidoji Shin. And, yeah, I am too. <laughs> and that is obviously going to depend on sales and the reader response and yes. all that kind of stuff. So do you, but do you have stuff in mind? Yes, actually. Basically, I made a list of all of the <laughs> of all of the types of mystery novels I wanted to play with. So, if there's a sequel, one of the things it's going to play off of is stuff like Perry Mason and Matlock. <laughs> so, a lot of courtroom shenanigans because Poison River doesn't really have any courtroom stuff in it. Doesn't have it. It has it's pure mystery. So, so I want some stuff dealing with courts and how evidence is portrayed in courts and how testimonies and stuff. I've looked up a little bit about Japanese law enforcement, and it is really interesting. The historical stuff, yeah. Yeah. So I want to, pl I want to play with that a little bit. I wanted to do a – I had an idea for a maritime murder, so a murder between – basically in, in on the ocean – a murder on a boat. So everybody is locked on a boat. And so it's like death on the Nile a little bit. Locked boat murder mystery. Yeah. And so you have, but you set it in between clan waters. So it's in kind of a gray area where the two clans are kind of butting heads about who's responsible. I don't know if that would work. I'd have to do a little more research, but I, I think I could make it work. Uh, I think you could. <laughs> there are boats. Yeah. There are boats yeah. all over the place. And there well, are yeah, but it's, it's, it, yeah. so yeah <laughs> I, I I wanted to do I've started to to read up more on the unicorn, and I got interested in a lot of the stuff with the unicorn with the different families, what the unicorn provide 
to the Empire. And I, I started to see little mystery plots around a lot of those. So much room uh, for shenanigans. Yeah. <laughs> and just it, just between all the minor clans and how the minor clans interact with the major clans and, and interact with each other. And just to take, you got the country house mystery is one I want to do. Yeah. Where everybody's everybody's together for a shooting weekend or the equivalent in Rogue mm. Gun, and somebody yeah. gets Moon, shot in the back. Moon, and yeah, yeah, yeah. You could do the you got the boat, you got the the courtroom, the, the country house. You've got the something a little more active with the main character being accused of a crime and having to go on the run. Yeah, yeah. it's all kinds of stuff. Um, and that's and that's not even getting into lots like, of copies of this. <laughs> yeah. Just got to buy lots of copies of Poison River. Oh God, yeah, stack please. them up in your basement. <laughs> yes, please. Make a little fort out of them. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's what my daughter does with all my author's copies. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's just so many ideas for having a throwing, figuring out a neat idea, a neat setting, a neat germ of a plot for the character, and then just going, okay, now how would he react to this? With the boat mystery, he's probably going to try and find a boat off of the other boat <laughs> to get to dry land. <laughs> Something will stop him. Yeah. The solution is, I'm leaving. Yeah. Good the line. solution is, Fine. this is not my problem. <laughs> and and, and there's, always, there's always stuff like the, the political thriller elements um, in Poison River will be built on. There's the, the tensions between the characters will continue to evolve as the series goes on, if, if the series goes on. So all of those might spin off into their own, not in necessarily into their own stories, but into elements of other stories. So, I, yeah, I got a notebook full of ideas, basically. That sounds great. So, hope. Yeah. yeah. So if you if readers enjoy this story, they should definitely buy two copies, or at least buy this one. What is your next work coming up? What should we read next? Do you have something in the hopper? Ah, let's see. Um, that is a that is a dangerous question to ask. I have <laughs> I just had no it's I just had a novel come out for Ubisoft, which I co-wrote with Jim Swallow. It's called uh, Zero Day or Day Zero, and it's for the Watch Dogs Legion video game. It's a prequel novel to the story, the events of the game. It's a prequel to the events of the game, and that just came out. So if everybody could go buy 300 copies of that, that'd be great. Jim and I would thank you. I have a volume of short stories coming out, a collection of short stories in my Royal Occultist universe, which I've written a couple of novels for and had a collection come out last year of some of the stories. But this is a second collection of short stories that'll be out hopefully before the end of the year, which will be called Hawk Mueller's Hound. Um, which is a urban fantasy occult detective kind of series. Uh, characters in the the nineteen in nineteen twenties England dealing with werewolves and vampires and evil cults and fairies and trolls and all that kind of stuff. Stuff to look forward to. Yeah. Cool. And that's yeah. That's, so, that's pretty much it. <laughs> yeah. Before we let you go, do you have an online presence? Are there any websites you'd like to plug? social media anything like that i do have a, a twitter which is jm reynolds which is just my it's very simple it's not very clever it's just jm reynolds <laughs> but i got it first so there's no number attached yes. uh, that's my twitter basically i announce anything i'm writing i have coming out on twitter i do have a website but it's a lot more if i write a blog post on my website it's mostly just about whatever monster movie i watched that weekend so it depends on whether you're interested in, in hearing me talk about monster movies, but it's Joshua M Reynolds.co.uk. And it'll have, it has a list of all my works on it, all my short stories, all my novels, if you're interested in that kind of thing. And like I said, also a blog about monster movies and whatever else crosses my mind. Usually not very interesting, but <laughs> Yeah, so I'm sure there's a lot of monster movie fans too. So I think that's great. We'll make sure that we put your links in our show notes. Thank you. I appreciate yeah. that. But uh, I think that's uh, that's just about it. We thank you so much for sharing your time with us this morning. We really appreciate it. Yes. Thank, thank you. you I, I appreciate all having me.
We wanted to give a call out to our Court Games Network, including the L5R LCG podcast and our two actual play role-playing podcasts, Crimson Gold Agonies and Fortune and Strife, which I will plug to you that there are two doji courtiers in one in each of those. So you can, if you want to see them, they're there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so our friends at D20 Radio which does many podcasts for all sorts of Fantasy Flight and other RPG products. Our content is funded by the Community Discord Patreon, which supports our editing costs, as well as our website, where you can store and see longer-term information and summaries of our podcasts and RPG tools and more. For our patrons, we have special bonus content like Adventure Seeds, early access to our actual play podcasts, and more. You can find us online at courtgamespod.com. You can find us on Twitter at twitter.com slash courtgamespod. And our Patreon is at patreon.com slash courtgames. And that's it for us this week. May the fortunes favor you. And I've been Corvar, and until we meet again, keep your jade handy. Radio, where gamers roll.